Greetings to you from snowy northwestern Iowa. Tanner Hoops with you in the sports pen. Glad to have you along. Merry Christmas week to all you who are celebrating. Glad to have you along this Monday afternoon. I'm out of the office. I got on a plane Saturday morning. I've since touched down in northwestern Iowa. It's not a lot more warm down here. It's a little less snowy, what have you. It's still a white, cold Christmas nonetheless. But I tell you what, we've still got a job to do. I've still got a job to do and content to bring you. So I put this together before I left. And what I wanted to do was put the finishing touches on the 2010s as a decade. Because it is the first full decade of the sports pen. The sports pen has been around since 2008. And we've had five different hosts of the show since 2010. So what I thought it'd be fun to do is get myself and the four others, the four ex-hosts of the sports pen, to get together, recap the decade, talk about our favorite stories, our favorite moments, favorite interviews, favorite games. It was really fun getting to connect with these guys, seeing how the sports pen has changed, how the sports landscape has changed, talk about our time in the UP, what was our favorite, what we remember about the job, and how many of our answers were comparable, almost identical. So what we're going to do over the course of the next hour and then into Thursday is we're going to rehash memories with Blake Froling, Ryan Mayer, Ryan Marine, and Casey Ford. All the guys who hosted the sports pen before me will talk about our favorite memories and recap the 2010s as a decade. One hour today and then hour number two coming up Thursday again. We're closed on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. The office will be closed, so Monday and Thursday will be the first two airings. And then Sunday, we're going to do it all over again. Sunday from 10 to noon here on ESPN-UP. Plus, we'll get it on demand. So let's jump right into it, and let's start with Casey Ford, because he was our first sports director here at ESPN-UP and the first host of the Sports Pen. In fact, him and his co-host Bill were the first two to ever take the air on the Sports Pen. You know, it's kind of weird being on this side, because I look at you and running that board and how fluent I was for seven, eight years when I worked here. And I know I could still go over there and do that. And you still have the same studio, the same board. I know I could go over there and do what you're doing. It's just weird being on this side of the table because this is where Billy Bloom always sat. Mm -hmm. And he was always on the side on the same stage that Tom had built for us. But yeah, it's it's definitely weird being on this side of the table compared to where you're at. Is it kind of like sitting in the back seat of your own car? Yeah, it's that you never get used to that. Like when we have kids, and mm. that's kind of the reason why I left here to begin with, because started having too many kids, and I wanted to see the kids grow up and and do what kids do. And we have a traverse, and when I'm forced to sit in the back seat, it's weird. It's super weird. But I don't like my wife driving anyway, so I like I get one of those things, motion sickness, mm. when anybody else drives, right, including my wife. Mm. So I like I like to drive as much as possible. <laughs> Casey and I had the opportunity to talk about how the sports pen came about. What was the origin of the Upper Peninsula's favorite sports show? Okay, so I moved up here from technically Belleville, which is near Ann Arbor, because I can't afford to live in Ann Arbor. I mean, Ann Arbor is just stupid expensive. So there was a job opening up here, and I wasn't necessarily happy in Ann Arbor, even though I was the voice of Michigan women's basketball. So I had applied, and I think you are still part of it, with the Sports Talent Agency with John Chelesnick. Mm -hmm. And I 
put in an application. I got the job up here. Uh, Tom brought me up on Order Shore weekend, so that would have been in August. Mm-hmm. I started, it was Welcome Week for Northern Michigan, so around the 24th, 25th of August of 2007. So my background is I had a sports television show in Grand Rapids. I was doing morning sports in Ann Arbor, and that kind of got pulled away from me, and I started just being a board op, so naturally I got frustrated. Came up here, Tom had hired me, showed me the area, and said, you know what, you can do a sports show, but I want you to, to learn the people around here, learn the landscape, and I knew Northern Michigan hockey was like the thing up here, and they used to be going down to the Joe in the past sports. I mean, they went to the Joe, I want to say, like 10 years in a row or something ridiculous like that. I mean, they were always at the Joe under Walt Kyle. So I got to know Bernie Anderson, who was at the time the football coach for Northern. I got to meet Walt Kyle and kind of just do a couple of what you're doing, like minute updates and sports segments, kind of like that. And then around, it was hunting of 2007, so I'd been up here for three months. Tom's like, all right, I think you're ready to do a sports show. Well, there was a listener that used to get on with the herd, Colin Coward, when he was at ESPN, and it was Billy Bloom. And Billy was a huge Yankee fan, and he got in a couple of times with Colin, and we played the promos on the air, just like little minute cuts. I would contact ESPN. They'd send me the audio. Everything was good. And boom, the sports pen was born on that day. So you and Billy start this thing. What was it like early on? Is it kind of a drastic change, or what no, did it look like early on? It was easy for us. Uh, he was a huge Packer fan, and obviously in, in November you have a lot of Green Bay games. Mm. I'm a Lions fan. Uh, with my connections with the University of Michigan and his connections and the news and some of the people he knew in Green Bay, it was actually relatively easy to do a sports show. Now, it was easier... Back then, because like with his connections in hunting, I don't know how many people were actually listening because they were in the woods, but I did know uh, a lot of people with the Ishmael Police Department, the Nagani Police, uh, the uh, Michigan State Police in Nagani, and the city of Marquette. And I'd like to say hi to Jim Finkbeiner and uh, mm-hmm. some of the guys that are still on the force. Uh, Finkbeiner, obviously the head coach of the Gwen boys basketball team. Yeah, uh, Doug, Doug Heslop as well was a big supporter of us. But, yeah, I mean, uh, they used to listen to us on a regular basis, and it was just sweet. And it's it's something where, and you know this, it's you get a big-name guest, then how do you follow it up? And Billy and I always tried to top each other. Mm. So I'd have, like, Jim Brandsetter from the University of Michigan on, and then he would get, like, John Mino from the Packers, and then eventually it was like, hey, we have Mike Babcock on. And it's, hey, we have Ken Holland on. We have Curtis Granderson on. We have Kevin Smith, the running back for the Lions, on. And it was just like who could top who at that point. It was I wouldn't say competitive, but it was always competitive of which big name was going to join us on our show. And then my dad, and he passed a couple years ago, but he would get the Detroit Free Press where he worked in Grand Rapids. And he would call me and be like, hey, you're on the front page of the Free Press again. I'd be like, oh, for which interview? And that's how he kept tabs on me, because we'd have Lloyd Carr on and Tom Izzo on. And it was just, who could get that bigger name? Like, I remember we had Tony Scheffler on, uh, a tight end for uh, the Detroit Lions. He went to Western Michigan University, also played for the Denver Broncos, where he started his career. But they played the Bears on Monday night. He joined us Tuesday 
on the sports pen. Hmm. And then we're on front page of the Detroit Free Press on Wednesday for our Tuesday interview, which is always awesome. So after Casey came Ryan Mayer, Ryan won, as Jim Kosky, our PD around here, calls him. Ryan graduated from the UP. He went back out east, and I'll let him explain everything that he's doing right now, all the job titles that he holds. Yeah, so I'm out actually in uh, in New York City. I work out of Midtown Manhattan uh, for a couple of different uh, jobs, one full-time, a couple of different freelance things. Uh, but basically, I work in the digital media end of the field uh, for Viacom, what is now Viacom CDS, um, writing and editing content, also producing uh, videos for our various market websites. And uh, in addition to that, also work for SiriusXM Channel 115, uh, doing sports updates for them during the course of uh, some weekends. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a wide variety of different things, some different voiceover work here as well. But, uh, it, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at here in uh, here in New York City, uh, based out of based out of Queens. Doesn't sound like a lot of free time for you. No. <laughs> but that's no, part but of the business. What, Tanner, honestly, I was going to say, honestly, in our business, when is there ever free time? I don't think <laughs> I've had free time basically since I started at ESPN-UP. And I'm, you know what? That's okay because I, I, I love the life that we live and uh and getting the opportunity to meet all the people that we do. So about a year after Ryan's time in the UP, our general manager, Tom Mogish, decided Ryan was so nice, we're going to do it twice. And Ryan, too, again, as Jim Kosky, our PD, likes to call him, made his way to the UP as we welcomed in Ryan Marine as the third sports director at ESPN-UP and host of the Sports Pen. Yeah, looking back on on the time, it, it was a really fun two years for me. I was so so fired up to take that job. It was a big step for me in my career. And just thinking about some of the highlights, it really started with day one when I packed all my stuff into a, a trailer, my car included. I had all my furniture and my car in a trailer, and we towed it on up from Moberly, Missouri to Marquette and started unloading into the apartment. But about halfway through, I had to stop because I needed to hustle over to Ishpeming to do my first broadcast on ESPN-UP, where uh, I did uh, the Ishpeming-Westwood boys and girls doubleheader that night, or maybe it was just a boys game. It must have just been a boys game. But at any rate, really got thrown right into the fire. Uh, Tom Mogish was kind enough to at least do the first half and kind of let me get settled in a little bit. But um, we, we got started with the play-by-play in the second half. Didn't know what a hematite was, but we just rolled right along with it, and, and that was a great way to kickstart the whole time up there. And most recently, it was Blake Froling. He was here just before I was, and the memories are still a little bit more fresh in his mind. He was quick off the cuff when asked, what were some of his favorite memories hosting the sports pen? We had a, a, a bunch of great interviews in my time. I was fortunate to, to interview some really cool people. The one that took me by surprise the most was the, the time I got to interview uh, Green Bay Packers legend Paul Hornig. So my dad's friend's friend, you know how those things go, mm-hmm. was working with Paul Hornig down in Louisville um, with horse, has something to do with horse racing because Hornig is a big horse racing fan. And so my dad's like, hey, you know this guy who knows Paul Hornig, you want to interview him? And I was like, sure, and whatever, of course. And kind of forgot about it, and a month or two goes by, and I'm sitting in the studio where you are right now and all of a sudden i get a call from a number i don't recognize and i almost don't answer it because you know spam calls these days so i pick it up and the guy's like hey this is so and so and i'm like who 
And he goes, uh, yeah, I'm your dad's friend. Uh, I got Paul Hornig here. Do you want to talk to him? And I'm like, uh, what, what, uh, can, can you give me like 10 minutes? And he's like, well, he's kind of got to do it right now. It's, it's either now or never, uh, because he's a busy guy. So I was like, uh, okay. And with 30 seconds notice, I got to interview a pro football hall of famer, Heisman Trophy winner with little to no preparation. It was, Probably the most nerve-wracking interview of my life, even to this day. But uh, it was, again, just another experience I wouldn't have had if I didn't get the job in the UP and wasn't working in the sports pen and didn't get a bit, a bit of luck either. So it was probably not my best interview, but it was certainly the most memorable. You know, and I love that clip from Blake because it's a great segue into what were some of our favorite stories we've gotten to cover throughout the decade Casey reflected on his time with Billy in the co-host chair. Well, anybody that listened to the show when Billy and I were doing it knows that Billy was not a basketball fan, not an NBA fan at all. Well, I would sit here, and sometimes I would give questions to, to for Billy to ask, and we would kind of feed off each other. And we had George Blaha mm. on the voice of the Detroit Pistons. Also Michigan State, but this was a Piston interview. And his exact words were, Bill, being the big basketball fan that you are, and I had to turn my mic off, and I nearly started crying laughing because Bill is not a basketball fan (laughs) at all. Like, he could talk hockey all day, but basketball was not his thing. And there's a a stupid question that I asked. We had uh, Brian Noble on, former Green Bay Packer. He was, I don't know if he still is, but he was owner of uh, the Green Green Bay Blitz, the arena football league Mm. there. Anyway, and uh, I was talking about commanding a huddle. I was just like, well, what's the difference between Brett Favre commanding a huddle and Don Mikowski? Because Brett replaced Don. And he's just like, are you kidding me? And you might still actually have that sound bit in your computer. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. He goes, are you serious? That was my Brian Noble story. I tell you what. Tell me about you and Billy's chemistry. What was Billy like as a personality for those of our listeners who may not remember? Yeah, for for Billy, he was a, a, a big personality. Everybody knew Bill. Um, he was part of the 91 hockey championship team here at Northern. Uh, he was the equipment guy, sharpened skates, all that good stuff. But he's the reason why I we got like Dallas Drake on and we're able to get uh, a Darren McCarty on because it's all about the relationships that you build while he or you build and he knew a lot of people so naturally he's like hey we got this guy we're going to talk about this and then we would have like Ken Cal of the Red Wings on and we'd kind of follow up but we talked a lot of hockey because that will that's what Billy's bread and butter was so it, feeding off each other wasn't hard and if you haven't noticed, I like to talk. I can talk. That's kind of how I got in this to begin with. But it, it wasn't real hard to have chemistry just because he did watch a lot of sports. Now, when he was at TV6, sometimes he would have to start at 3 o'clock in the morning and he wouldn't get to watch the game where I would start at 5 or 6, depending, because I'd do the mornings on Q107, and uh, I would get to see the majority of the game. So it was a little bit different there because I could watch a full Red Wings game or a full Tigers game or a full Pistons game, and I knew he wasn't watching, but I, I could talk more about it to um, our guest, and he would just fill in from time to time. So, I mean, we, we had our roles, and, and we played them well. 
So the biggest gap on the sports pen timeline comes between the Casey and Billy era and present day with me. So we've had six different personalities hosting this show, plus our multitude of friends of the show throughout the various networks up here in the UP. So I wanted to gauge how much the sports pen has changed, the flavor over the last 12 years. What is my show like? What's my brand, my style compared to that of Casey and Billy? So I asked Casey, who would your show have been comparable to? I wish I could have done more like what Lebertard does. Mm-hmm. And now I have the freedom where I kind of can, and we'll get more into that later. But we're probably more like Golick and Wingo. I don't want to say Mike and Mike because they had such great chemistry. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we weren't Colin Coward because he's a one-man show. But I would probably say more like Golick and Wingo um, with how we we talk. Like, just because of the schedule, we'd email like, topics to each other. And then we kind of phase them out from that. But everything we did, it was it was not. We didn't want scripts. I don't like reading. He doesn't want to follow it. Mm. So it, it was a match made in heaven on that. You know, the common theme when I talked to all these guys was the pleasant memories that came to mind when they thought of the UP and their interactions with the people up here. The biggest thing that just jumps to mind immediately when I think about my time back uh, in the UP was just how nice everybody was in welcoming me, uh, who was very unfamiliar with uh, basically the entire state of Michigan, hadn't been there uh, prior in my in the course of my life. So then to come out there for the first time, not really knowing what to expect, not knowing anybody there, uh, to have the welcome that I did from the coaches, uh, from the parents of, of high school players, from the players themselves, um, and also just generally from the Marquette community is probably the thing that jumps out to me the most and I and I think the thing that I probably enjoyed the most about uh, working at the station and hosting the sports time was just the wide variety of different things that I got to cover whether it was high school sports uh, with football and basketball and volleyball or the other wilder end of sports with roller derby uh, coming in dur- during the course of my time during the summers uh, stock car racing as, as well going down uh, to the golf events uh, up there. So it, it really just, all of that sort of stuff is, is the kind of memories that I just kind of will sit back on, on certain days and be like, you know what, that was, that was really cool uh, to get the opportunity to do that and really to start my career there. Um, so that's the first thing that probably jumps to mind and, and really also outside of that, really the, the relationships that I developed with uh, a lot of the coaches in the area and having the opportunity to cover their teams uh, because uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I've obviously I've been back here uh, on the East Coast now for coming up on five years, and, and I don't think I've come across high school coaches uh, that have as much passion about teaching the games that they're coaching to their players uh, as the folks do in the UP, there are there are some, of course, everywhere in this country. But uh, I'll tell you what, there's there's something special about the way uh, that the coaches are involved there, and it's it's really remarkable to reflect upon. Do you still like to keep in touch with anybody from the UP, or like to follow the teams, anything like that? <laughs> so actually, I, I try I try and follow uh, teams as much as I can. I still follow you know the the Northern Michigan teams to and check in occasionally to see how they're doing. Unfortunately, uh, the men's basketball pro- program has gone through some various changes there coaching-wise, but I still talk to uh, Charles Delt, former assistant coach there. He's now down, I think, at William Woods University in Missouri. 
Uh, you know, I talked to actually one of uh, the former people that used to work for uh, one of the TV stations up there, the sports anchor, Lily Zhao, uh, who's actually out now in Milwaukee covering uh, the Green Bay Packers along with uh, some various other teams in that area. So I continue to keep in touch with her. I've actually heard from uh, so, uh, some several people during the course of my time being out here in New York. Uh, Dave Bowes actually reached out to me a couple months back uh, when I had done an interview with Merrill Hodge uh, here for one of my jobs and uh, and just gave me a compliment on uh, on how everything had gone. And uh, that was extremely kind of him, and, and I greatly appreciate that. It's just, yeah, I, I, I mean, I try and keep in touch as much as I can uh, with a wildly uh, all over the place schedule but yeah it's there there were just some amazing people that i met during the course of my time there eventually got to the point where i had a preference to blake you can tell me what you like about the up the most what you miss about it the most you cannot say the people you can't give me the easy answer give me something oh come on tanner you stole my exact (laughs) answer it's the people no uh if i if i really had to pick um Man, this is tough because I don't want to get people mad if I pick one place and they want me to pick the other. I do miss the homemade pasties a lot. Those were great. I mean, any place in Marquette had great pasties. Um, I would say just hanging out after a Westwood game um, or just, you know, just on a random weekend with Jared Kosky and a couple other guys going to the sauna, you know, enjoying a few beverages so to speak, uh, you know, those times where we're just all hanging out just as friends, you know, blowing off some steam, uh, was, was there, those were some of the best memories I've had. Those guys took me ice fishing for the first and only time in my life, and I caught maybe the smallest possible fish you could, where even if you held it up as close as you could to the camera, it wouldn't look any bigger. It was about the size of my index finger. But, you know, just, just little moments like that were, were things that I'm really going to miss where I, I never expected, you know, I, I really had nothing, no idea of what I was going to get into in Marquette, and, and those friendships that I made are, are ones that I still try to maintain to this day. I mean, I just talked with Jared Kosky yesterday, so, uh, you know, those those little times in the sauna, how they all embraced me right away, and they kind of gave me their side of, of the story with, with everything going on in the sports landscape and in the Marquette area, so... I'll always be be grateful for those guys and those moments that they shared with me. As much as I might tell these guys, you can't do the easy answer and just say it's the people you miss the most. The people here did make an impact on those guys, and they were very open about it. We had a lot of fun. Um, It was weird because Dean Ellis was the basketball coach for Northern Michigan, and I started going to the Northern Michigan basketball games. Well, me being a redhead, he kind of considered me his lucky charm, because whenever I went to the games, they won. So Dan Waterman was his assistant coach. Obviously, he's the coach of Nagani right now, but he was the assistant coach for Northern Michigan at the time, and they treated me so well on our way to Houghton. He has his play-by-play guys that were on the different radio station, and then there's me. And we went up to Houghton, and they won. Mm. And Dean's is like, I'm taking you everywhere. <laughs> and I don't think I made a trip the rest of the season. <laughs> but that was one. Obviously, uh, starting this thing, because 
the guy before me, this was all news all day. His name was Dennis Whitley. Mm-hmm. And then they started ESPN. And he's not really a sports guy. He's a news guy. So when I took over for him and, and built this thing, we got invited out to Bristol, Connecticut. And we got to go hang out with uh, uh, Bobby Valentine. And unfortunately, I was told I had to be nice to Matt Millen, mm. me being a Lions fan and him basically killing the Lions. I was told I had to be on my best behavior. I had to interview him, but I got to interview him and Carl Ravitch. Um, Linda Cohn was out there, and we had a great time in Bristol, Connecticut. And obviously, the Mining Journal picked it up and front page of that. We met Mike and Mike on the set for that. And I know Tom got to do more stuff with uh, Mike and Mike and Colin Coward than what I got to do. But uh, he was off doing that while I was doing interviews. And honestly, Bristol was probably one of the best moments of working here uh, at ESPN. And then we also got to do something cool because back in 2014, Ishpeming, no, I'm lying, 2012 or 2013, I forget which year, the Eric Dompier story. Mm. And he was a kicker for the Ishmeen Hematites. And Eric, um, with his story, they got to. They won the state finals. They got to go meet Savannah Guthrie in the Today Show. They got to go to New York. Dean Dampier and, and, and Jeff Olson and, and Scott Sergio was with them at that time. They were doing interviews, and they were interviewing each other and giving us live stuff from the bus, and they were giving us live stuff from the Today Show. And that was actually a really cool time. I didn't get to be a part of the bus, but I was back in here. Uh, playing everything on air during the the breaks from ESPN, which was also really cool. wasn't part of that trip, but I kind of was part of that trip. You know, and the guys gave us a good idea, especially Casey. He was the first one here of what ESPN UP looked like in its early years. And I tell you what, not a lot changes here in the UP sports scene, which the guys are going to get into later on. Not a lot has changed here at ESPN UP either regarding cast of characters. Jim Koski has been absolutely fantastic, and I know. A couple months ago, they did a word on the street with him, mm-hmm. but he's been doing Q107 for as long as I can remember, and he fantastic, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Um, I know his wife that does the middays on Q107. Tom was absolutely fantastic, and honestly, if it, if I was still a single guy and still doing the things I did, I'd probably be still in your seat. That's how much I loved it, mm-hmm. but... I got a better appreciation being out of radio because I got to do more things. I, I was the quote-unquote news director here. Let me tell you what I know about news. <laughs> Give me a press release. I'm going to read it, rewrite it, so it's not like seven pages long. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I didn't know much about news. I was just there to read. And my reading skills at 5 o'clock in the morning coming off road trips weren't necessarily great. So I appreciate them letting me be on the big, the mothership, if you will, on 107.7 where they can hear us up in the Calumet area and everything. But my my passion was this. And when we started, we were only AM 970. And then we were able to expand because when I was when I first started here, Q107 was doing all the internet streaming. And then they moved the rules and regulations and people paying for royalty rights and all that stuff. That switched from Q107 to ESPN. So I know a lot of people used to listen to us online. My mother in Grand Rapids would listen to us online. Um, It was a really big deal for this to become a transmitter and translator and to get on the FM dial and still keep in contact. And I know 
Jim, who lives out in in Ishpeming, would listen to us in his garage every single day. And I would go meet him at uh, Sand Speedway, and he'd bring his mother out to to the races and things like that. But I got real involved with Sand Speedway and just got to meet some of the guys out there. And I'd interview racers during the week because, you know, in the summertime, there's not a whole heck of a lot going on. Mm -hmm. When the Brewers were, I don't want to say bad, but fluttering like they were. And the Tigers at that time were good, but you just can't talk Tiger baseball every day. Mm -hmm. It's 162 games for crying out loud. So... The Tigers were good at that time, but you can only have so much Tiger personality on. So you start talking Sam Speedway and meeting those guys. But we had a lot of listeners, and I like going out and meeting them and and talking to them. And I don't know how much of an opportunity you've had because I know what your schedule entails with everything that you do. And being from Iowa, by the way, God bless you for coming up here. (laughs) The only place that's probably colder is probably Iowa right now. But, yeah, I mean, it, it... the the people that listen to this are diehard and, and they'll tell you when when you're good and they also tell you when you suck and and that's honestly that's what I loved about it. Did you get a lot of listener feedback? Absolutely, you? absolutely. And uh, back back when we first started, there's are you a wrestling fan at all or no? A little. So I I don't know how old you are, but I'm old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna be. Well, I just turned thirty seven. But back in the day, <laughs> back when I was growing up, there's this wrestler. His name was Bastion Booger. Mm. And he actually lived in Scandia. Mm. Uh, Mike Shaw and his kid played football for Gwen, Josh Shaw, and I got to meet them a little bit. But he would fax us questions and fax us responses because that's old school Mike. He would fax us from what he was doing, and uh, I thought that was pretty cool that we had Bastion Booger of the WWF, WWE, uh, listening in to us. But this area is so unique because, uh, like Ted Nugent, I don't know if he still does or not, but he had a camp out in Republic. Mm and we like we had Apollo Ono on and Shawnee Davis for uh, the USOEC when they were here doing the the time trials and you get a lot of celebrities and at that time people didn't care and that's why they come in here because they weren't bombarded by everybody now you know you get one guy here and everyone's fleek flipping out and they're like oh my god well back when Apollo Ono was here they didn't have that mm. I mean they got some I mean it's only natural but well that was uh, one of the things I, pr- I prided ourselves in and I know we had Ernie Harwell on and at that time uh, Greg Pond's still alive but he also had uh, Goofus and Goofus was a staple in Nagani still is a staple uh, and uh, he died a year or two ago yeah. and uh, big big uh, loss for the community but uh, we had Ernie Harwell on and Ernie was talking about his two friends from the Upper Peninsula. And I just said, Ernie, who is it? He goes, oh, Goofus and Ponzi. I'm like, they're <laughs> friends of mine, too. And er- Ernie was fantastic, by the way. But, yeah, Ernie, Ernie had a couple of good friends, Greg Pond and Goofus, that were up here. And uh, we just started a segment on that, which is awesome. But, yeah, um, we had a lot of listeners. I prided myself and getting phone calls because I, I could talk all day about college football. I love mm-hmm. college football. I could talk about all day about NFL football. But if I'm not getting the fans' opinion, it doesn't really matter. Because mm-hmm. I want to know. You can agree with me or disagree all you want. I want to hear about it. Yeah. And if you agree with me, eh, whatever. <laughs> of course you're right. <laughs> Duh, I just said it. You're right. Thanks for agreeing with me. I like the people that disagreed with me. Yeah. And, and, and I, like when Colin Coward was doing his show on, on this airwaves or on espn i feel like colin would purposely 
take the opposite side of everything. Mm-hmm. And he still does. Whether he believes it or not, he believes it for that time period. Right. It's kind of like saying, what, Barry Bonds never took steroids. Look at the dude. <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> and for the longest time, you couldn't. Mm-hmm. But it's like he wants to take the opposite side. And I, I was never... I was never fake. I was always genuine. Like mm-hmm. if I believed in, and you could tell the passion. And Billy always would say, "You look like a lit match over there," because my face would get all red. <laughs> and he was right. He absolutely was right. But when you're passionate about something, and you know this, mm-hmm. when you're passionate about something, you—that's when the—that's when the best radio happens. Mm-hmm. And one <laughs> one of my good friends. And I, I'm going to name drop here. Dan Dickerson, voice of the Detroit Tigers. Mm-hmm. I was down in game four of the ALCS, and I overslept. No, I'm sorry, ALDS. This is 2011, the mm-hmm. ALDS. I went to game four, and everybody's talking about A.J. Burnett and how the Tigers are going to beat him. He sucks, blah, blah, blah. Well, I had I'd gone to the game. I had overslept, so I have to get here by 4 o'clock. I rolled in at 3.58, like 30. <laughs> and Dan Dickerson was I was on the phone and Dan's like yeah I'll come on your show blah 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 so the day after game 4 of the DS we were going to game 5 in New York deciding game 5 mm-hmm. and I had said they had um, Wilson Betameet playing mm-hmm. third base the, That's big, a the big trade for the Tigers got him from the Kansas City Royals and they had Wilson Betameet and he didn't do a thing for the Tigers mm-hmm. and I said Dan what are the chances that they bench Wilson Benemit and put Don Kelly in at third? Oh, they'll never do that. Blah, blah, blah. Game five rolls around. I'm pretty sure Jim Leland was listening to me because I was on the front page of MLive in the, in the free press at this point. Mm-hmm. And I, they're like, oh, Dan Dickerson doesn't believe. Sure enough, game five rolls around. Wilson Benemit and his broken bat were on the bench. And Don Kelly was playing third base for the Tigers. Dan didn't talk to me for like a year. <laughs> we're, we're good friends now. We've, we've we've rehashed that. But I think to him, I I made him look bad because he's oh, there's no way that's going to happen. And then it happened. And I thought that was awesome. I tell you what, we're coming up on a break. We're going to keep reminiscing after we hear from some of our sponsors and those who've made the sports pen possible this decade. On the other side, we'll talk about our relationship with Westwood High School, with Northern Michigan University, and with neighboring schools in Marquette County, as we've covered throughout the years. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Monday afternoon. Well, we're reminiscing back on the 2010s with all five sports directors here at ESPN-UP, all five of us who've hosted The Sports Pen, myself, Casey Ford, Blake Froling, Ryan Mayer, and Ryan Marine. I've been talking with them throughout the week and getting their thoughts, digging up some old memories about their time in the UP. Well, as you know, ESPN-UP is the flagship home for Westwood Athletics. We have been for many years. We also cover to an extent Northern Michigan Athletics and other high schools in Marquette County. I want to start by reminiscing, talking about some of the guys' memories with Westwood High School and their time covering the Patriots. 
you know what? I, I think my time covering the Patriots, particularly the the football program, was kind of right at the beginning of that uh, ascendancy for the program. It is really when they started to get things rolling there and, and started to, uh, under John Jessen at the time as head coach, uh, really it really start to build put put together the building blocks that you've seen kind of come to fruition here over the last. A uh, couple of years, to say the least, and, and, and that was a lot of fun to watch uh, from my perspective as a broadcaster because obviously they were going up against uh, some of the just powers within the area, Ishpeming, of course, uh, being the main one at the time that I was there, uh, Nagani as well. So having having the opportunity to see them really start to build was amazing, uh, cover, uh, covering the basketball teams uh, as well and, and seeing what they – were able to do with, uh, on the on the court with just a fairly limited uh, limited roster, just in terms of the the number of people available to them was was incredible. Um, and you know, cover uh, covering Westwood sports for me, I I really enjoyed some of the rela- the relationships like with Dave, where I was doing color consistently uh, he i was doing play by play he was doing color consistently during the course of those games we developed that rapport on the air where we kind of were able to joke around with each other and go back and forth and and that is when tenor as i'm sure you know broadcasting is the most fun uh, mm-hmm. when you're able to build that rapport uh and, and over time on air become uh a duo that understands each other and knows kind of where you want to take things that's it's a lot of fun and and i thank dave uh, and the entire Westwood community greatly for that. Do you have any favorite game or any favorite call from your time with Westwood? Ooh, favorite game or favorite call? That's that's a good question because uh, we're going we're going back a, a, a little <laughs> bit here in terms of the memory banks. So uh, forgive me if if one doesn't immediately stand out. That doesn't mean it wasn't memorable. It's just I, I have a have a lot that I'm trying to go back through here. Um, I think, oh man, I want to say there was a game in uh, October of twenty. What would have that? What would that have been? Twenty fourteen. Uh, and it was a home. Uh, it was a home game, and it was. I think one of and a couple of my friends actually had come out from New York, so they were in attendance uh, to see uh, to see the game and up in the booth. Uh, with Dave and I, so that was really cool for me. But also, um, just I think it was one of the one of the first times where I really saw the 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 flash uh, for uh, for Westwood kind of come to fruition. Uh, and there were there were a couple of uh, big runs that they ripped off during the course of that game. I want to I want to say it was against Iron Mountain, if I remember correctly. Uh, but they ripped off I want to say. A, a 35-yard run, a 50-yard run during the course of that game, and it was just these chunk plays that I was really starting to look, sit back and go, oh, wow, okay, they're, they're really starting to put this together. And it was a fun broadcast to do uh, from that standpoint because anytime you get those big chunk plays, you, you know, in your mind, you're going, you're going through it and trying to describe what you're seeing on the field and that excitement level building up inside you along with it. Um, that that probably is the one that sticks out to me the most, just because it was a combination of th- of things of my friends being there, of being in the booth with Dave, and also seeing uh, on the field what 
what Coach Jessen had been really preaching to the team all season, starting to really flip that switch uh, and and come to fruition was really cool. I think it was a really interesting time to be a part of the program. I came in in January of 2017 when a lot of the, the big names for Westwood that you have this year and last year were freshmen and sophomores. So you could see that the talent was there football and basketball-wise. They were just kind of taking their lumps, so to speak, learning the hard way uh, my first year there. Um, one of my fondest memories was with the girls' basketball team, and they uh, they were just such a young team. You know, freshmen and sophomores mostly were leading that team, playing all of the, you know, all the juniors and seniors. And, and towards the end of the season, just hearing Coach Corcoran talk about his team and getting emotional on air when talking about them just because of the connection that he felt and still feels and is now getting the fruits of that, just seeing seeing how much these coaches care about the students is, is what really struck me, especially that first year when I was first getting the taste of what it was like to cover Westwood. Tell me about your first Westwood Patriot broadcast, your first interaction with the squad. Well, I was kind of lucky with my first broadcast. It was on my first day of work as well uh, in January. I think it was January 3rd, and it was a boys' basketball game against Gwynn. And I was just, you know, just getting a first look at the roster, first time ever getting to know uh, the coaches and players. And the game, it, it was it was one of the best games I covered, period, the whole time, and it happened to be my first game. Austin Pierpont hit a shot in the far corner at the buzzer to tie the game and send it to overtime. Just just absolute chaos. I thought the ball, uh, you know, a two seconds before had been knocked out of bounds, but he somehow saved it from almost behind the basket in the corner and made a ridiculous shot to send it into overtime against Gwynn. So after that, I was like, wow, are all the Westwood games this exciting? It was a, it was a pretty cool start uh, to my career up there. Do you have any favorite memory from your time covering the Patriots? Maybe that was it, but I have an idea there's a few others that could give it a challenge. Man, where do we start? Uh, we've got a couple good ones. Uh, 2018 boys playoffs against Ishpeming in the districts. Ishpeming, a heavy favorite, led by Hart Holmgren, uh, who went on to uh, play at Northern for basketball, and, you know, they were supposed to roll over Westwood. It just just a, a cursory game, basically, a, a warm-up for them, so to speak. And all of a sudden, the Patriots just keep battling, keep battling, uh, holding strong in that uh, we, it was, the game was at Nagani, uh, doing the game with Dave Bowes. Uh, we were kind of in that, that catbird perch high atop behind one of the baskets. And final play of the game... Nathan Beckman takes a shot in the corner for three that would have won the game off the front rim. And kind of out of nowhere, Blake Hewitt slipped in front of the basket, jumped up, caught the ball in the air, and just just floated it back in at the buzzer, made it, and the place just went nuts. It was a buzzer beater to beat Ishpeming. Uh, Dave on the broadcast, if you ever listen back to the recording, you can't hear a single word I say because it's just, Oh, man! Oh, man! I mean, we were just going crazy. It was it was one of the most exciting moments, even still to this day, one of the most exciting games because that gym was packed. 
you know, big rivalry game between Westwood and Ishpeming and, and a team that, that we didn't expect to even win a single game in the playoffs all of a sudden beats one of the, the best teams in the area in Ishpeming. That, that was probably my favorite memory uh, in terms of basketball. That one's no good. Rebound to Larry. Out to Delangelo. Five seconds left. Gets in the corner. Beckman for the win. No good. Tip up by you. Oh, he got it. He got it. He got it. He got it. Oh, man. Oh, man. Blake Hewitt for the win on the follow. The fans are storming the court. Westwood just won the district. Oh, we see something else. Amazing! A miracle at Nagani! Blake Hewitt is the hero! 54-53 Westwood! Now I want to keep going with that thread, talking about their favorite broadcast with the Westwood Patriots. I really liked Ryan Marine's answer. I want to play that for you. Yeah, without a doubt, the, the one game that comes to mind was Ishpeming Westwood boys in the state tournament, and I can't remember what round it was in, but clearly this was a big game for the community. Westwood had beat Ishpeming earlier in the season, a uh, bit of a surprise there, and I think Ishpeming was eager to put that behind them, and Westwood came out and really played an excellent game in, in a game that, that kind of sparked a remarkable run for them that took them to, I believe it was the state quarterfinals, that year, and it came out of nowhere. I don't think the team had a winning record starting the postseason, but by the time they wrapped up, they were over 500 by a couple of the games, so it was a really remarkable run that they went on, and that game against Ishpeming encapsulated it. They played with a ton of heart. It was a fun game, a great environment in the Westwood gym, just totally packed to the rafters, and um, when, and it came down to the wire as well, and uh, you could tell what that game meant to the community and, and just to see it launch that program uh, on a nice upward trajectory, I think that was uh, extra special. Now, I like that answer because it exemplifies the parity in the Upper Peninsula. I have never seen a place with more parity among high school sports, you know, or where high school sports is king than here in the Upper Peninsula. And as a media member, I love that. That is so much fun to be a part of. And whenever high school basketball season rolls around, that's where it seems they have the most parity. That's where it seems like everything heats up. It gets you know blistering cold outside. Inside the gym, it is so much fun. And I love being a part of this atmosphere. And I tell you what, it's hard to pull away from. And I think any of my four predecessors will tell you that. They still like to keep in touch with those who've touched their lives here in the UP. I'll tell you, I have heard from Kurt on on some w- occasions. It's been a little while, and that's probably on me. At some point, I need to follow up. And, in fact, I'm sure I'm going to be back in the UP at, at a, a time or two this winter. And my, my hope is to pop into a Westwood game at some point and, and try and say hi to a couple of people. But um, uh, John Beckman to Scott Sergula, um, Kurt Corcoran, I think those names are going to sound familiar. And, and indeed, many of the players that are playing. Uh, Madeline Kosky, who I think I saw on Twitter, just got to a 1,000 points. Is that right? He did. That's amazing stuff because Jared, of course, uh, was doing color with me, her dad, and, and that was back when she was still in middle school. And uh, she he, he told me that, you know, I've got this daughter and a couple of them, actually, and they're coming. They're going to be good, and not just his daughters, but he was telling me about their teammates and just how much work they were putting into it at the middle school level and to see how that has 
has now progressed to the high school level has been really cool. Uh, I think same can be said to some degree for some of the the, the boys' uh, programs. And uh, so, for sure, there are there are some similarities there. It makes it fun for me because I still keep tabs on how things are going up at Westwood and to see some names that I recognize. So uh, there are some that I hear from not as regularly as I'd like, or probably I, I should be more proactive in these things. But without a doubt, if any of them are listening, I am following along. I, I'm happy to see the success that has come, and it's good for you as well. I know when when I was there, things weren't necessarily quite as positive in terms of the wins and the losses as they are today. But I'll tell you, Tanner, going back to those times, it was really clear that things were going to turn around and turn around soon. The foundation was laid, I think, while I was there, and uh, the whole athletic department is reaping the benefits now. But it wasn't just Westwood that we built strong relationships with, and Casey is being the only one of my predecessors still in the UPs over in Munising. He'll tell you first and foremost, those relationships are going to stick because there's not a lot of change here in the UP. You still get the familiar old faces, and it still feels like home. It, it was kind of weird because I had no intention of being back in radio. I was in cars. I, I left this, um, and I went and sold cars, and I didn't know anything about cars. And then I became one of the top guys at, at Fry, and I became one of the top guys at Fox. And it's great because now that I'm back in this, and I'll give a cheap plug, AM 1400 in Munising, 97.7, the transmitter translator, kind of like what you have here mm-hmm. with 970, 93.3. And I also run 92.7 WRPP in Escanaba. But with the coaching staff, they don't really change around here. So I get to talk to the Ben Olsons from Gwynn and the Jim Finkbiners, and I still uh, keep in touch with Scott Sergila and Kirk Corcoran and Dan Waterman. I, I still get to talk to a lot of these guys. Now, I don't do a Friday show. like I'm just way too busy. I'm like a one-man band when it comes to that stuff right now. But eventually I will slow down, and I'll be able to get – more money and more cost and I don't have to do as much and I can do more on-air things. But there's not a lot of coaching changes that happen around here, which is awesome. And they all remember me and they're just like, oh, you're back on the radio. Yeah, and it's it's sweet, but it's not awkward when I go to a gym and I don't know somebody because I know a lot of these guys, which is sweet. You know, a lot of schools are known for having a unique atmosphere. Everyone kind of adds their own flavor to the high school basketball scene. I got to say, I asked Blake which school he felt like provided the best high school basketball environment. I'm going to play his answer because I got to say, I agree. Nagani is a, is a very good one to pick there uh, because they kind of they kind of dim the lights at the top, so it's almost like you're at the Staples Center, but it's Lakeview Arena, and the fans are right on top of you, um, especially as a broadcaster, based on where they have you set up for that day. You could be, like, one row in front of the rest of the fans, so you can hear them, they can hear you. That is certainly a really, really cool place to broadcast a game from. I would say in a packed gym atmosphere, that one probably gave the best feeling of a big game atmosphere. So we do a lot of work covering Northern Michigan athletics as well, talking with coaches, and it was really cool talking to these guys and seeing how much Northern athletics have changed over the last decade. That that was an interesting time, uh, to, say, to say the least, for the Northern hockey program, because I think you know they, it, things were just kind of in, in that influx sort of state where they they had some very very good players 
um, but they just weren't able to seemingly put it all together uh, for uh, to make enough of a run to end up being in the conversation uh, at the end of the at the end of the season for the WCHA title or to go on to uh, the Frozen Four. There were there were moments there there were different series where you know they they'd come out and play better than any of us expected, and that was really interesting to watch because they had. Uh, some of the uh, some of those players that you know, like a Matthias Dahlstrom in in net at that point in time, where you would watch and just be like, "This this kid's incredible. He's unbelievable." As coming in as a freshman, and he he was starting the majority of the games for Northern at that time. So to watch him and, and see, okay, they're building something here, but something's missing. It, it was it was an interesting combination of things, and I think. Obviously, that was reflected in the fan base a little bit too. They were trying to figure out, okay, what is that missing piece? Um, and I know because I, I still uh, I still follow one of the uh, one of the mining journal writers uh, up there as well, Ryan Steed, uh, who was gracious enough to come on multiple times and, and talk about the Northern Hockey Program with me and and co-host the show with me several times during the course of my time there. And I know from following him and from following the Northern account that things have started to build a little bit further for the Northern Hockey Program, and i got to tell you, I can't be, I couldn't be happier uh, watching that from, uh, from afar to see, you know, the fan base that is so rabid about hockey and so ready to embrace uh, that history that the program has get the opportunity once again to see a team that, you know, performs to the level of their expectations. Well, it started off kind of in in turmoil when I came in. Uh, the hockey program was was struggling, not not the success that it is right now. They were going through uh, another losing season. They made a coaching change a couple months after uh, for hockey, and and Grant Patolny came in, and that was kind of kind of one of the most important moments for Northern of the past couple of years because, as we know so far, it's turned into an amazing success with him and just when I when I first got to Marquette and hearing kind of the apathy for Northern at the time especially for hockey and then now to to see it when Grant came in how he built the program it seemingly turned it around overnight and 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 now seeing the excitement that was around the program up until when I left and certainly now with you there uh, that was really exciting for me. That that was cool to to finally see a program that that had so much potential. Of course, had already won a national ch- championship, so we knew the the potential was there. And to finally have a young, exciting coach bring that excitement and bring the fans back to Hockeyville. You know, you want to have a great hockey team there, and, and he was able to do that. So that was one of the coolest things. And uh, going to to basketball. I became close with Bill Saul and Charles Belt, the uh, head coach and assistant coach for the men's basketball team, and and they were just so open with all of us, really, all of the the media covering them, talking with them about basketball, about life, and that kind of connection just doesn't really happen much with uh, you know media coach relationship. Just one of the the great things about Marquette being a, a small tight-knit community where it's it's more than just a, a working relationship it, it truly became a friendship so that wasn't always like a, a public thing but it's just uh something that i was i was fortunate to experience well i i have to say i i really hit it off with uh with bill saul who at the time was the men's basketball coach he's moved on to calvin 
his alma mater. Interestingly enough, the, the rival college of my grandmother's alma mater, and that's something that I bonded with Coach Saul about early on when I found out he was a, a Calvin alum. Well, you know, I've, I've got Hope College alums in my family, and so we talked about that pretty early on. And then his assistant, Charles Belt, who was a frequent contributor on the show, I think even subsequent to my departure uh, from ESPN-UP. So uh, certainly got to know them quite well, covering uh, the football team. Uh, coach Ostrowski was the coach at the time, and as Troy Madsen was uh, coaching the women's basketball team, and Walt Kyle, of course, was uh, the men's hockey coach. And certainly that program wasn't producing at the level that those the fans there in Marquette have come to expect. It's been nice to see that 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 has turned around. I'm sorry that it hasn't happened under Coach Kyle because I did enjoy him and and working with him. But at a certain point, sometimes maybe the message becomes a bit stale. And clearly, the the change has been a positive one. Looking at the the early returns, so uh, I would I would say too, uh, going further away from the the traditional stick and ball sports that get a lot of the coverage. I had a good time covering the Greco-Roman wrestling program that's there. I really enjoyed my conversations with Sten Feldheim, the, the Nordic skiing coach, and uh, had some great conversations with uh, the other coaches from the other sports as well. So I, I found the Northern Michigan Athletic Department to be extremely open and welcoming to me as I came into a completely new environment and uh, really enjoyed my, my opportunities to get to know so many of those great people. I tell you what, that's it for day one in our look back at the 2010s as a decade with Casey, Ryan, Ryan, and Blake. I'm Tanner Hoops. Glad to have you along. Have a Merry Christmas and a safe time with your family and friends. Thank you for tuning in to ESPN-UP. Again, we're back on Thursday to finish out the back end of the special two-hour show. Coming up then, we're going to talk about the guy's favorite story to cover while at ESPN-UP, what they've been up to since moving on, and how their time in the UP helped develop them as media professionals. All that and more Thursday. Until then, have a Merry Christmas. I'm Tanner Hoops for ESPN UPWZAM, Ishpeming Marquette. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome to our number two of the 2010s in review show. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Hope you had a very Merry Christmas. Hope you got everything that you wanted. Spent some time with your loved ones, your family, what have you. Once again, we're going to have Michigan State football, the bowl game, the pinstripe bowl here in ESPN UP. Tomorrow, Michigan State taking on Wake Forest. You can hear it right here on ESPN-UP, 93.3 and 970+. plus. It's online with our app. I'm going to be back in the studio on Monday. We're going to resume regular sports pen programming, what have you. By the way, if you missed this show, you can hear it in its entirety, all two hours of it from 10 to 12 Sunday here on ESPN-UP. Well, here's what I want to talk about here in the last hour while I still got my interviews with Blake, Ryan, Casey, and the other Ryan. Here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about friends of the show, other media members that came on, and guys that we've spent time with who we've seen the through the rotating cast of characters throughout the course of the last decade or so. I'm going to talk Tiger Baseball with Casey because, man, I tell you what, uh, a couple days ago, if you remember, he talked about Wilson Bedemy, Don Kelly. That brought me back, and that sparked a whole new conversation. All that and more coming up over the course of next hour. Let's start with this, though. Let's start by talking about each guy's favorite memory hosting the sports pen. 
Yeah, I, you know what? I, I was actually thinking about this in the past couple of days since uh, since you talked to me about setting this up, Tanner. And I think one of my favorites actually is I, I got Doc Emmerich to uh, to come on the show, and Doc is obviously one of the legends of broadcasting. And just just from the standpoint of having him on the show, it was great. But immediately when he came on, first thing out of the break, we bring him on, bring him on air. And he, before I can even get to any questions about the NHL, the Red Wings, anything, he drops a bit of knowledge on me about the UP. Uh, I believe it was about a coach that had been there or uh, so, something along those lines. The exact phrasing escapes me, but he, dro- he dropped a bit of a nugget of knowledge that said to me he took the time to research research and know exactly who he was talking to and that was really cool um and then to see the up then get hockey town this was after my time uh there obviously but to see them a couple of years later become the craft hockey town was was amazing uh because it just reminded me that you know what doc was aware and and doc knew and and that just that starting interaction uh with him was was probably one of the ones that just sticks out the most because he took the time uh, to know exactly the audience that he was talking to, and I, I think that was absolutely amazing for a guy uh, of his stature. I mean, we did some weird things at various times. I had some people come on, and we would try and find something strange in sports to talk about on the show. We did a discussion of the first burrito-eating competition in Southeast Asian history, which actually was organized by a Uper, believe it or not. There was a connection there. Uh, so we did some weird stuff like that, but um, certainly covering uh, the March Madness was always a highlight for me. I thought that those days in the studio were tons of fun because all day we're sitting around watching the games. I would have as many screens up in the studios I could get to try and follow as many of the games in real time as possible. And then they're going on during the show as well, so I always enjoyed that. But I think the, the one story that stands out above the others is Hockeyville and seeing the Marquette community really rally around that Hockeyville initiative, first to get on the ballot and then just to power through the successive rounds and being there in Lakeview when the announcement was made that we had won. Um, that was a, a really exciting moment for me. And actually speaking to some of the Hockeyville representatives who were there, they never released the numbers about how close it was officially, but I think the statute of limitations is up, and I can say with some confidence that Marquette won by a lot. The the whole UP in general, but Marquette in, in particular, really got behind that. And it was awesome when the game finally came to put the the great hockey community that, that exists up there in the national spotlight. That That will always stand out to me. Well, and I know it was a really special time for you as well because of an interaction with Doc Emmerich. That's right, exactly. And Doc's uh, from a small town in Indiana, which is not where you would expect uh, the consummate hockey voice in in uh, American television to come from. There's really no hockey of note anywhere nearby, but uh, it was cool for me, first of all, just to meet Doc because he's a consummate pro, right? And, and he's the guy that anyone in broadcasting sports looks up to based on the amount of success that he's had and just how well-respected he is. And so to have a chance to talk to him a little bit and learn about his his preparation and how he goes about getting ready for a broadcast, especially a broadcast like Hockeyville, which, I mean, it's a preseason game, so you would excuse 
Doc Emmerich if he wanted to take it a little bit easy, but instead he was really going deep into some of the background of these players who are never gonna were never gonna play in the NHL in a regular season game in some instances, but he knew all of their stories and his spotting board was really something to see. But the other element of the interaction with Doc that was special is as I mentioned, he's from this small town in Indiana, which is actually where my mom's parents are from, and they're of a similar age and knew some of the same people, as a matter of fact, and um, so getting a chance to bring that up to Doc, and he, his eyes lit up, he started talking about his youth and asking about my grandparents, and then on his own initiative offered to record them a special greeting and special message, uh, and I know I sent that off to them, and they were so thrilled to, to receive it, they didn't know it was coming, and it's something they still talk about, so that's a cherished memory for sure. You had him on the sports pen, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we did. We did do an interview. In fact, the the interaction I was speaking of a moment ago was just something I mentioned offhand um, to Doc when we wrapped up the interview. Hey, I, you know, I know you're from this part of Indiana. My grandparents are too, and and that's what led to the whole thing. But uh, really, the whole purpose of of meeting him was to have him on the show and have him talk again about his career and talk about how he prepares for things and and also of course to preview the game and and talk about the significance of hockeyville and being there as the voice of of uh professional hockey in america so it was a really cool interview i i think i've got it saved somewhere still because that that's one that that is awfully special to me the great doc emmerich my guest now on the sports pen uh, nhl on nbc you've heard the voice for quite a long time doc thank you so much it's a pleasure to talk with you that's an impressive watch you have on so you're going to have to do this intro again what does that say seven o'clock yeah it's uh, it's right twice a day <laughs> That's very good. I was just, I was noticing the watch. I said, gee, what a watch that is. And then I realized, I said, what is this? Stendhal yeah. Town. Okay. Yeah, it hasn't worked in years. Oh, but uh, I like how it looks. All right, take two. All right. You keep that. That's a key. I like it. Yeah, it's not going yeah, Well, you can play it. I don't care. Put it on. Okay, let's do this. Let's second. keep it. All right. Well, do the All right. Doc Emmerich, my guest, now on the Sports Pen NHL on NBC. You've heard his voice for quite a long time. Doc, first of all, welcome to Marquette. This is a lot of fun for us to be here, and we're looking forward to a good game tonight, an entertaining game, but basically we're here to celebrate the city. And it's already it's been celebrated with a parade and barbecue last night and lots of other events that have been going on that you're a party to. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get here until yesterday afternoon and basically huddled up in the business office over at the Holiday Inn and started cramming for my finals. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, it's going to be exciting inside today. When you talk about cramming for the finals, I don't know how many listeners understand just how much preparation goes into one of these broadcasts. Can you take us through your method? How do you prepare for a game? Well, this game in particular is a lot like a winter classic to us and a stadium series because they are events that are unique from a regular season NHL game um, because they're special games and for that reason there's a lot more background that we need to do. Um, I talked with Bob Chase who grew up in Nagani and he has been my icon ever since I started listening to hockey games. Bob will be 91 in January and he's still broadcasting the Fort Wayne Comets. At one time uh, the Comets games could be heard in Marquette. I don't know that they can anymore because of the directional signal 
1190 in Fort Wayne. Uh, but he told me quite a few stories about growing up here, playing at the Palestra, playing at Lakeview Arena um, occasionally, but this place wasn't built until he had already gone down to Fort Wayne, but he still returned here. Uh, but he, he, was a, he, he actually played here at one time in, in the Palestra, which I guess is, is now uh, removed, and the Barry Event Center is located where the Palestra once was. Um, I got a chance to speak two weeks ago with Ted Lindsay, who participated in the game at the prison in 1954. Um, I, I've been able to meet some people just this morning that are pointing to banners that are hanging from the inside here and say, I was on that team. Uh, this is what this is supposed to be. This is not talking about Carolina and Buffalo's power plays or penalty kill or how they're going to be. I'm very pleased that Jack Eichel is going to play. I'm really happy Noah Hannafin is going to play. Those are 19-year-old American kids that people in Marquette are going to get to see, and they're going to watch them play in the NHL for a lot of years. But mostly this is about getting ready for an event that is going to be like a tidal wave. It's going to wheel in at 7 o'clock, and by 10 o'clock we'll be looking around saying what happened. But hopefully in the meantime, people at home watching, unfortunately people at home in Marquette that couldn't get tickets will be watching, and people across the country and around the world, and hopefully they will have been entertained and they will have learned an awful lot more about Marquette's hockey history. How meaningful is it to have an event like this in these towns around the U.S. that embrace hockey the way that a town like Marquette does? Well, for me, it's, it's fun, and I hope it is for other people, too. A guy I worked with on uh, ESPN in the 1980s, Bill Clement, uh, made a statement that the basis of hockey is rural Canada, small-town Canada. That's where it really came from. And I think that's true, and I think uh, it then, of course, became smaller towns in the United States, even though there are big city rinks and guys from large towns that play this sport. I think that the, the unity of community in small towns is probably part of what helped make hockey go in Canada and made hockey go in the United States, too. And we saw that kind of community involvement in Johnstown last year, and we've seen it this year. There were millions of entries but only one city was chosen. And so Marquette needs to feel special, and I know they do. And we're, we feel special to be here. I just was reading some material this morning that they were recording for tonight's game, and I looked out on the ice and I shouted down to the truck, you think there's anything can be done to give us a location like this in the 30 NHL rinks? And they said, yeah, we're working on it right now. They're going to knock out a lot of suites in Toronto and let us sit here, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the importance of small towns to the fabric of, of the hockey community, and it makes sense in a state like Michigan or in Canada, but maybe not so much in rural Indiana. How does somebody from Wabash County, Indiana, of all places, become such an iconic name and voice in hockey? Well, I don't know how that happened, really, other than persistence, because it's, it's something that when I saw my first game, I really wanted to do. Uh, first game was December 10, 1960, at Fort Wayne and Muskegon, and uh, I, I'd never seen a game live. I'd seen a little bit on television, and that night uh, there was a guy named Con Madigan who got in a fight with two seconds left in the sudden death overtime tie game, it ended in a tie, and I, I had you know your 
your eyes are wide open when you see the Zamboni go back and forth and you wonder how it doesn't scrape up all the red and blue lines and dump them into the bin like everything else. And, but there, there was that and it was an exciting game and all of that. Con Madigan is 82 years old today. And when I was taken into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, one of my great memories was I got a phone call from Con Madigan congratulating me. He is still the oldest rookie in the NHL. He fought Moose Lalo that night. Moose was the player coach for Muskegon, and before I went into the U.S. US Hockey Hall of Fame, I got an email from Moose Lalo. Now, those are the two guys that I remember from the first game I ever saw. You don't think that's a thrill when years later, two guys that you were just a little kid watching play remember you. Oh, that's big. You've done hundreds of these games. Does it ever lose its luster for you? No, it doesn't. I mean, first of all, you get in free. <laughs> Second of all, you get a good seat, and you're never going to get a better seat in the world than, than I have tonight. And third, you see what it means to the community. Now, our, I was in basketball territory. If you've seen the movie Hoosiers, that's the era. It's the 1950s when I was growing up, and our town was the size of Hickory. It was 600 people. And the community revolved around the basketball team. And our coach was fired in mid-year. And half the student body walked out of school one day. I, it's, you know, it's that kind of unity that is generated by an athletic team. Sometimes it's the band. Sometimes it's the drama society. Sometimes it's the debate team. Whatever winds up being the king of the community, and it varies, but in this community, I think it's the hockey, and it's been that way for a long time. When you have 21,000 people and you have 23 teams plus a university team, that's a lot of hockey. And that means people, it matters to them. And... I just wish everybody could have gotten in that wanted to see it. Well, Doc, thank you very much for your time. Welcome to Marquette, and we're certainly happy to have you. Yes, and uh, for, uh, for doing this interview so well, you get a watch, courtesy of the Gruen Watch Company in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. Much obliged. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, talking with the guys about their favorite memories or favorite stories to cover at ESPN-UP, with Casey, that transitioned to a rant about the Tigers. And if you know Casey, that can last a while. This is what I was talking about with, with Eric Dompier. So back, I want to say it was 12. It may have been 13. But Eric was uh, a kicker for Ishpeming, and uh, he had special needs. And people were trying to prevent him from playing football because it, quote-unquote, created a advantage for Ishpeming because he had already played technically his senior year and it started off as just kind of a small story and then it kept we kept track of it and kept giving updates and then it got to a bigger story with the MHSAA and then became a bigger story in the Detroit Free Press bigger story with with um, the Today Show but it didn't create any kind of competitive advantage and if you knew Jeff Olson you knew he never kicked the football to begin with. So Eric was the kicker, and it was a, it ended up being a great story and a, and a happy ending for everyone. Eric got to play, got to kick some extra points in some games, but in no way did it create a competitive advantage. And I don't know why the MHSA just didn't see that. 
And Billy and I kind of took it upon ourselves to just literally start calling and emailing everyone. We were like, what are you guys doing right now? And Ishmael did go on and win the state championship that year. Uh, they had a 2010 run where they end up losing, um, and that was Daniel's senior year. And then they won it in 12 and 13. And my last year was 2013 here. And I want to say they won it in 15 again. I know they at least played for it in 15, but I want to say they won it in 15 as well. Mm. My, my memory goes off because <laughs> it's been so many years and I've covered so many things. But, yeah, I mean, Ishring was the team when I was here. And, I mean, when I first started, they had a tremendous running back with Casey Harris and they had Beltrami and uh, Alex Brionis was a sophomore mm-hmm. taking his team uh, to the to Ford Field, which was awesome because you don't see that a lot. But Brionis... And he's had a great career at Central Michigan. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, those, those are some of the talented players that I remember that played for history and that helped them win state titles and did go you, to state titles. Did you have any play-by-play opportunities while you were here? I did some. Ed Holmgren was the voice of Ishmael at that time on just AM 970. And him and Dale Phillips did a tremendous job. Well, Ed was getting up there, and he didn't like going uh, to the away game. So basically, I got stuck with the Manistiques and uh, the Calumets or the long road trips. I remember a couple of times where, remember, I was doing morning. I think you have to do mornings here with, with Jen. No. So I was doing mornings here. So this is 5.30 in the morning. I'm walking in. I'm just a zombie. She's like, oh, Jill was doing the mornings as well and Q107. She's like, where were you last night? And I had to think about it because I had just covered, it was like Manistique, Iron Mountain, Houghton, and back-to-back-to-back days. Mm. And some of them were snowouts, and I got to go up to Houghton during Ice Fest. I don't, did you get a chance to go to that last year? I haven't, no. Okay. The ice sculptures are absolutely fantastic if you get a chance to go up to the Houghton area. So literally, I was in Manistique, Iron Mountain, and Houghton. And I'm just like, I am so dead right now. Just so dead. But I consider myself like still an athlete, and I was a gamer. And I came to work. I would come I'd leave here at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning, go home and sleep for a couple hours, and then start getting ready for the sports show. But at that point, I felt like death. Because you know what the road trips are like. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> they are brutal. Like, I, I, the Ishmael Naganis, the Marquettes, you can handle. Sure. That's fine. <laughs> it's when you're two hours to the east, two hours to the west, and then two hours to the north, and then you get in at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, you're like, oh, why do I do this? <laughs> Uh, you bring back, like, it's a blast of the past. Think about some of those old Tiger rosters. You think about the the Delman Young days, Craig Monroe. Oh. I know. I, lo- I love Simo. I-, I really wish it would have worked for him with the Cubs because right. I-, I do like the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had the Prince Fielders, and you still had Miggy when Miggy was good. Yep. Now you're just strapped with a contract. We all knew that was going to happen when you signed him to a 10-year deal. That right. you're just going to get—I don't want to say fat and lazy. That didn't happen. You just get older and you lose a step. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had Curtis Granderson on the center fielder at the time for the Tigers, and you know Rondell White. I thought, oh yeah, he was right left field, whatever. They had Jock Jones, yep. and I mean they had some guys that could hit. Now, I was not a huge Edgar Renteria fan. And really? I, and I let my voice known on that, on this show. I saw him when he was in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And he was 
adequate in St. Louis, but remember, that's National League Baseball. Right. I remember Edgar when he went to Boston and how bad he was to the <laughs> Red Sox. He was pretty bad. He was horrible. <laughs> and then he went to the National League, mm-hmm. and he was good. Yeah. And then the Tigers got him. Boy, did he suck. <laughs> he was awful. He had zero range. Like, zero range. And the Tigers signed him to a big contract, and he just sucked. <laughs> and I was not a fan. Like, any, like I, I felt like anybody that was playing shortstop could have got to more balls than what he did. Like, I thought the Tigers lost a lot of double plays for his lack of range. Mm-hmm. But I also got beat up on the show because I wasn't a big fan of career hitter 130 Brandon Inge. Yes. I thought he was a fantastic defensive player. But you had that. His name was Don Kelly. Yep. He also couldn't hit. But Brandon Inge was known for a few great at-bats. And that's what made him a Tigers legend. He's mm-hmm. still a Tigers legend. Sure. For a guy that couldn't hit, but he had some big home runs. Mm-hmm. And that's what people remember. It's like, uh, what do you stand on Placido Polanco? I loved him. Yeah? I loved him for so many reasons. But I I thought he, especially in 06, when the Tigers had their run, mm-hmm. I thought he was very instrumental. I was also a big Carlos Guillen fan. Mm. And Carlos at the time had bad knees, and like he couldn't play shortstop anymore. And they moved him to second base. But I like Carlos Guillen. Um, basically, if you tell me the 06 roster, I'm going to be in love with you. I'm going to give you a big hug. Like Sean Casey, probably the best first baseman yep. Tigers ever had. Not really, but no, but. no not really. He, he couldn't run. I was, I'll was. i tell you a quick story on Sean Casey. I'm sitting in the right field uh, bleachers, and Sean Casey hit one to the left side. And he was a left-handed hitter, and he probably ran like a five-minute 40. And he was so slow. Well, he had thought they were playing the White Sox, and uh, Joe Creedy was the third baseman. And that guy had a broken back, and we all knew about Creedy's issues. But defensively, like he could still make plays. Mm -hmm. Well, he had knocked the ball down, and Sean Casey thought that he had caught it, and the ball trickled to left field. Casey's walking back to the dugout when everyone's, you got to run, you got to (laughs) run. He's like, what's going on? So he runs to first base. He gets thrown out from left field. At first base. <laughs> that was an 06, by the way, everybody. That is my Sean Casey story. But, no, I mean, I grew up with, like, Cecil Fielder. Right. And, I mean, Bergman was on his way out, Dave Bergman. I mean, yep. he was retiring at that point. Do you even know who Dave Bergman is? No. Okay. So, Dave, this is, like, early 80s, early 90s. Dave Bergman was on his way out. The big cat, Cecil Fielder, was mm-hmm. doing uh, the, the Burger King commercials, and Prince was joining him, things like that. If it wasn't for the Tigers finishing with the second worst record the year Prince Fielder was drafted by Milwaukee, mm-hmm. the Tigers would have had Prince Fielder coming out of the draft, <laughs> but Milwaukee got him first. But, yeah, um, I'm just a huge Tigers fan, and I've always been a Tigers fan. Even when they suck, I'm a huge Tigers fan. But, you know, there's a time when you can turn the games off in May and June because they're just out of it, and there's mm-hmm. other times that they keep you to the All-Star break. And then there's other times when they're good through uh, the mi- well, probably good through the middle of August, and then they suck in September, and they back their way into the playoffs. Like, that 2010 season was rough for me. Right. Because they led the entire way and then lost in the playoff game to the, twi- the Twinkies. Come on. That's my team. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I tell you what, I, I saw I saw you in a couple at Target Field. Yep, yeah. yep. You know, and I'm a Twins fan, but I tell you what, my favorite Tiger, if that's possible, was Maglio. So I'm sitting there at the game four of the ALCS back in 06. And it's uh, Maglio coming to the plate. He hits the home run. Placido's, you know, everybody knows Placido running around the bases with his jumping up and down. Like, he happiest dude in the world. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming out because I was, uh, my dad and I, that's probably my, my best, and I wish, completely separate, I I got to speak at my dad's funeral, and I really wish I would have brought up this moment because it was probably the best moment I ever had with my father, and it was the Tigers going to the World Series. Yeah, they lost in five games to St. Louis uh, in the World Series, but as a fan and as a father and as a son, like everyone is hugging and drinking beer and celebrating and he was alive back in 84 when the Tigers won the World Series. Never got to go to the World Series. Mm. So my father, being the great man that he was, he goes, you know, I paid for all your schooling at Grand Valley State. And people don't realize this. These are my season tickets, not my parents' season tickets. I had season tickets to the Tigers that year. And that was the first year since basically 91 when the Tigers even showed signs of life. So I would go to as many Tigers games like he goes, you know, your mother and I, we've never been to the World Series. Uh, <laughs> paid for all your, your schooling, paid for your cars. We'd like to go to the World Series. Uh, and I was just like, you know, you make a great point. <laughs> How do I argue this to my no. favor? You, you can't. I was like, that's fine. I'll go to game six. Not that big a deal. Never became a game six, but I was super happy because he was at game two, and that was the game that Kenny Rogers and the Tigers won mm-hmm. against St. Louis. So he was at that game, and that makes me so proud that I got to send him and my mom to the World Series. Now, at the moment, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't mad, but I mean, I wanted to go to the World Series. <laughs> but like I said, I, I was super, pro- like super pumped that he got all these years later that him and my mom got to go to the World Series. Uh, Fernando Rodney was the closer. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, I mean. To, to have him go to the World Series and that moment I got to experience with him at the ALCS, I mean, some of the best Tiger moments I've ever had. I'm thinking about some of those old Tiger pitchers now that we got on Fernando Rodney. I'm thinking of, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking about Joel Zumaya, Kyle Farns, Zoom Zoom, Zoom Zoom, Sparks. I think he just had a heart attack last week. Yeah, uh, Steve Sparks was the knuckleballer who. Yep. Was good at time to time, not good. Zoom Zoom, as you know, tried to resume his career with yeah. Minnesota and then broke his forearm, and he was just done after mm-hmm. that. But uh, he heard it playing Guitar Hero, if you remember correctly. <laughs> um, but he had an electric fastball. I mean, I remember the Franklin Herman days. And oh, I'm like, boy. it's Franklin German. They're like, no, it's Herman. <laughs> Come on, Patrick Rory. So are you a Garden Hire fan? Do you like the way the team's uh, trending? Yeah. No. No. Well, no, hang on. That's a two-part question. It is. Do I like Rod and Garner? Yes. I love Rod. Okay. Um, the way the team's trending, no. Mm-hmm. And that's not all on him. I do not like Alavila at all. Right. Um, I think he's terrible at his job. Um, the only way he keeps his job is because it's the Tigers, and the Illiches really don't care about the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they don't care about the Red Wings either. Um, <laughs> but the Illiches, they, they need to sell the team. Yeah. Just like Martha Ford needs to sell the Lions, they need to sell the team. Um, 
they have that Illich name, but the this is me going off a little bit. The the person that has probably done more for the city of Detroit gets the least recognition, and that's Dan Gilbert, owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. Dan Gilbert and his team have done more for Detroit, in my opinion, than what the Illiches have done. Yes, the Illiches under their leadership have brought World Series appearances, Stanley Cup champions, things of that nature. But in my opinion, the Gilberts have done more than what the Illiches do. Illich like to have their name up there. Gilbert's behind the scenes and does more for Detroit. With that, let's take our last time out. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the friends of the show as they've cycled through the sports pen over the years. Plus, we'll tell you what the guys are doing now and how the UP has helped develop them as professionals. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. We review the 2010s as a decade and how ESPN-UP, The Sports Pen, and the Upper Peninsula sports landscape have changed with all five sports directors in sports pen history. I tell you what, we've had some great voices, characters on the show over the years, our friends of the show from other media outlets, what have you, around the UP, we got a chance to reminisce about them. Think about some others who've been on the show. Well, one of the cool parts about being at ESPN-UP was the fact that there were so many young up-and-comers uh, in, in sports broadcasting or sports journalism generally that were there at the same time, kind of in the same position as I was stepping into maybe your first or second job in sports media and learning on the fly, and and we were all doing it together. It was a really fun group that I was there with. Ryan Stieg is still there with the Mining Journal, and I know he's still a contributor to the sports pen, which uh, makes me happy because he was uh, a frequent and regular guest. In fact, probably my first guest, come to think of it. He was on with me very early on, um, maybe within my first week of, of being there. But I also had Sam Ali, who was with the ABC affiliate, uh, Pete Francis, who was with the CBS affiliate, Jake Durant, who is still there. I really enjoyed Jake and uh, having him on the show, especially when he was starting to debut his Game of the Week raps. That was a really cool thing that, that started uh, while I was there, and I gave him a chance. He came in studio and, and gave us a demonstration, a little freestyle for us, which was really cool. Uh, as well. So uh, just just a ton of really nice people. I'm sure I'm omitting a few. Jerry Taylor, I know, came in a few times. Ethan Schmidt as well. Um, just a, It was a really great group in the media core to work with. I always enjoyed going out to a game at Northern or going to a Westwood game because I knew some of my friends would be there covering the game as well, and uh, we always had a lot of fun. Well, the media saved me <laughs> all those members all the the tv guys and the newspaper people that that would come in through the show especially the first couple months when i knew absolutely nothing about the area first and foremost you have to talk about ryan steeg from the mining journal i mean that guy was an encyclopedia on all things marquette and especially hockey in the area and he was he was the bravest one of them all because he would do the Saturday morning coaches shows with me for football uh, 9 a.m. when not a lot of we couldn't get many of the other media members to join us but he was always a trooper came in after a late night of covering a football game going back writing the story fielding calls I mean he'd be up well past midnight and then would come in the next morning so 
I was always grateful for what he was able to contribute to the show and, and kind of help me along, especially in the early goings, telling me about the histories of the teams, the rivalries, the coaches, and kind of the inside stories, just so I could get a, a better idea of the local programs. He was extremely helpful in that regard. And then just having having someone new to talk to every single day, because, you know, it's tough talking by yourself for an hour every day, so you, you need some help with, from some of your friends. So having Jake Durant come in, Ethan Schmidt when he was still there at TV6, and Seth Wells when he was still there, and all the other people that came in, Rachel Zerby, uh, Charlie Bremer, they were all so great. And each one brought something a little bit different because we were all from different parts of either the state or the country in some cases. So we all had a little bit of a different viewpoint on things, a little bit of a different flavor. Of course, I can't forget Sam Ali, who is now in Duluth. I mean, everybody had a different personality, and, and that made it so the sports pen was never going to be, be the same every day. It was always a little bit of a different flavor every day based on who was doing the show with me, and, and that was such a unique experience that would be kind of tough uh, to recapture for me, just because you know those a lot of those people I mentioned are are completely gone, and I'm I'm sure you're seeing the same thing too, Tanner. Where every day you're getting a, a different viewpoint, where you might agree with someone on one topic, and then the next day you talk about the exact same topic, and the conversation goes in a completely different direction. And I think I think the listeners really enjoyed that. I want to finish out our show by giving the guys a chance to let our listeners know where they are, what they're doing, update them on their lives, and give them the opportunity to talk about how their time in the UP helped them as media professionals. I think Marquette, the, the biggest thing Marquette did for me professionally was to continue to, to help me understand um, different points of view and different perspectives, because having grown up the entirety of my life, you know, on the East coast and coming to the sports world in one specific way, right. You know, East, East coast markets are, are very, what have you done for me lately type of type of town where a coach could win the Super Bowl or they could win a state title or whatever the case is. And the next, the next season, you know, they're off to a couple of losses and you're out, you're done. That's it. Fire everybody, get rid of everybody. Uh, versus coming out to the UP, and there's some element of that in any fan base, but coming out to the UP and seeing the different perspective that they had on sports and the way that they came to the table and discussed things, um, you know, both on the, on the court, on the ice, on the, on the field, whatever the case is, and off the court as well in terms of the interaction between players and fans and, and coaches and fan bases, I think, that's probably the biggest area that they helped me to grow is is to understand all, all of those different perspectives and be open to those different perspectives because it's something that I think about constantly when I am um, you know producing the various content that I do here is okay what I'm coming at it from this perspective this person's coming at it from a completely different viewpoint how do we kind of bridge that gap and, and find that middle ground and I, I think that. The, the UP and, and everybody that I met there, it really helped me to develop that, and I hope to continue uh, to, to try and try and do so as you know I build things out here. It, it's it, that was you know the the place that really opened my eyes to that to a different way of thinking about everything, and I'm grateful for that because it has completely 
uh, changed my level of open-mindedness to everything, um, both in the sports world and out. And I think overall, uh, I would say that, you know, I say this with a certain amount of humility, I would hope, uh, has made me a better person. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky to be able to work here. Uh, the radio station is built directly into the ballpark here on the top level. To our knowledge, it's the only baseball stadium in the world that has a fully functioning radio station inside of it. So it's really cool. Or you know, during a baseball game, uh, you know, we broadcast for the Great Lakes Loons. They're a low A affiliate of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And instead of driving 15 or 20 minutes to the ballpark from the radio station, I just take about 10 steps around the corner and boom, I'm looking out at home plate. So uh, I'm pretty lucky to, to get this opportunity uh, broadcasting the Loons games. Um, in addition, it's the rest of the job is pretty much like uh, at ESPN-UP. We cover high school football and boys and girls basketball in the fall and winter when we're when we're not doing baseball. So, you know, that that aspect of the job is the same. We do a, a weekly podcast. I do miss doing the sports pen every single day. Um, that is one thing I do miss about uh, the job at ESPN-UP. But this one has been a lot of fun, too, seeing a, a different area of the state and, and different uh, high school basketball teams, learning new rivalries. You know, it's always always those, you know, inside stories, just like you hear in uh in the UP, everybody's kind of got their old rivalries and their memories down here too. So it's it's really cool. I'm I'm uh, excited to be here for now. The going in the, onto my uh, second year down here in Midland, but I certainly miss the UP every single day. Well, Blake, tell me about your time in the UP and how it developed you professionally. What's the biggest thing that your time with ESPN UP did for you as a professional? Well, it, it helped me become more independent. I think professionally because I was kind of thrown in the fire for day one. I mentioned the story where my very first day of work, I had to do the sports pen all by myself and then at night call the basketball game and just things like that kind of being thrown in and saying, here, go figure it out yourself and do a good job. And I, I that experience really helped where it was a situation where if I didn't get it done, it just didn't get done. So uh, also Tom allowing me the freedom to kind of explore, you know, make changes, try do new things. You know, not everything worked, but, you know, just, just trying those different things and trying to develop professionally while also promoting the ESPN-UP brand. It was an invaluable experience. And, and getting the reps of doing the sports pen every single day, I think, uh, you know, I added it up. I think I did well over 400 episodes in my time there. And just doing that every single day, getting the routine down, doing, you know, several interviews a week and developing, you know, talking points, hot takes, if you will, and, and just doing that every single day. That repetition, I think, really honed me as a broadcaster and, and helped in my play-by-play as well, just because you're speaking every day, you have to form coherent thoughts or otherwise people will think you're an idiot. So I think that the independence of it's all on you, get it done, try new things, that was an experience that was so unique and is, is going to help me for the rest of my professional career. I think 
the, the listeners up there, if they're listening still, who uh, listened while I was there, they, they would remember that I probably spent more time talking about motorsports than your average ESPN-UP uh, sports pen host. But as an Indianapolis native, that's kind of in my blood, and it was my goal really from the early days of uh, experimenting with uh, with college broadcasting um, to, to try and get into sports broadcasting, but specifically motorsports broadcasting, and uh, was able to, to get a great opportunity, thanks in part to how things went there at ESPN-UP that got me to Indianapolis and uh, find myself now basically doing my dream job. I cover about half of the NTT IndyCar Series races for the uh, Advanced Auto Parts IndyCar Radio Network as a pit reporter and turn reporter, which is a really fun opportunity that includes uh, working the Indianapolis 500, which is the most special sporting event in the world as far as I'm concerned. And then I do a lot of work for CBS Sports Network as well here in the States and a little bit in Europe uh, covering uh, sports car racing. And it's a, a, a paddock that I really enjoy being around, being a part of, and telling those stories too. So the travels take me everywhere, and that's part of the fun of the job. And uh, really, you can't take the smile off my face. It was hard to leave the UP, in all honesty, because I did enjoy my time there, and, and it was a special place to work, as you well know. But the opportunity came to really chase a dream, and the last couple of years have been really unique and really special, very gratifying as well, because the things that I set out to do, I've been able to do them, and I don't take that lightly, and I thank the various people who, along the way who helped. and. Without a doubt, Tom, at, uh, at ESPN-UP, at, at Tech and I Broadcasting, is a, a huge reason why things fell into place for me, and I owe him a, a great debt of gratitude. Tell me about the guy who came into the job at ESPN-UP and the guy who left. Fundamentally, what did the UP do for you to help you become a better broadcaster? Well, I think the thing that really made the biggest difference for me, I, I had previous radio experience. I had done tons and tons of games. Um, in addition to being a country music DJ and a farm reporter and a news reporter and just anything else that, that I could get my hands on at my first job in Missouri. But I was a part of a very big newsroom there and a large sports staff as well. So there was a good opportunity to learn there without a ton of responsibility. And that all changed when I got to Marquette because that role is pretty much just a one-man role. It's You've got to get the job done or else it doesn't happen. And that, to me, was a big challenge, and it, it challenged me to grow in broadcasting. Um, and the way that I was able to learn to prep for a game or prep for a radio show, because it was going to be just me doing it in many cases, um, that, that really has helped me now as I've moved on to what I'm doing today. And I think, too, it just taught me about how to build relationships because that job would be impossible if you don't have a good working relationship with the athletic department of Westwood or NMU or Tech or Finlandia or any of the other programs at high school on, on up in, in the UP. And, and so the value of creating a good relationship with the people that you're covering, I think I knew that that was important, but it became evident to me uh, just how important that was. And I think in so many ways that job prepared me for what's to come. And um, I would recommend any young broadcaster find a similar position just to help 
prepare them for what they're going to face when they get the job that they're that they're really trying to get to. And that's not to say that covering sports in the UP can't be that thing, but in many cases, you know, you you end up with uh, young people in sports media there in in Marquette that have aspirations of getting to a larger market and. And that's why you see so many good ones come through Marquette, whether it's in radio or television or the newspaper. It's such a great place. You get to cover Division One sports. You get to cover high school sports. That means so much to the communities. Plus, we have the at, at ESPN UP. You have the platform to talk about the NBA, about Division One uh, basketball and football with Michigan and Michigan State. The NFL, of course, Major League Baseball, the NHL, just across the board. It's such a great training tool. And I, I can't say enough um, just just how beneficial I found that whole experience to be. Well, tell me about what you're doing now as you've made your way out to Munising and made your way back into radio. So I met this girl. <laughs> it's a good way to start a story. Yeah, yes and no. So here's my plan. My plan is when I moved up here, I was going to be the next big thing. Mm. I'm going to be here a year or two. I'm going to take my talent somewhere else. And I meet this girl. <laughs> That's when the down. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, that's when things start changing. Um, obviously, you fall in love, have kids, all that good stuff. So I'm doing the sports show here. I'm working a bazillion hours here because I want everything to sound good. So, yeah, I'm 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 assuming your salary. I'm not going to get into that. But I'm I'm salary at this point, and I'm going to every northern football game, every northern basketball game. And you know when basketball plays and hockey plays, sometimes. You're at the Barry Event Center from 10.45 until 10.45. And you don't see the, the kids a whole heck of a lot. So I, I leave radio. Well, at that point, I didn't know her brother. And her brother, and going to throw some cheap plugs out there, uh, he owns a burger that's in Munising, fantastic burger place. Uh, Tracy's, the Rome Inn, um, they have the Rome Retail Store. And he just comes to me one day and he said, Hey, I got these. I acquired some of these radio stations with Rome Media. And I was like, all right, and we don't own them yet, and FCC stuff, whatever. That stuff takes time. But uh, he's just like, I would like you to run them. I was like, oh, Mm. okay. I was working at Fox Motors at the time, and I love Fox, and I never was looking to leave Fox. And it's my day off. And whenever I had a day off, I tried to take them unless it was the end of the month. Then I made sure that uh, I was at work, except for one time, which whatever. But I was on my day off, and he goes, here's what I did. I'd like you to run Rome Media. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and that's basically how I got back into media. Um, I was driving, depending on weather, anywhere two, two and a half, sometimes an hour and a half, once again, all depends on weather. We had that big ice storm last year. Mm-hmm. It literally took me two and a half hours to get into work. And then I got there. They're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, it's a work day. And then they sent me home mm. like two hours later. <laughs> <laughs> got to be missing like three, four o'clock in the afternoon. But no, uh, he. I'm running 92.7, which is classic rock, WRPP out of Escanaba and Manistique. And I'm running WQXO, which is AM 1497.7 FM. And I basically call that Elger County. You can pick it up in parts here in Marquette. Like if you're at Jeffries, you can pick it up in their parking lot. And I think Bald Eagle, Harley-Davidson, you can pick it up. But for the most part, we're Elger County Station. Um, I I love it. I, I'm, I'm happy to be back. 
Um, we're not sports. We do carry Michigan State athletics on our stations, um, but we carry Superior Central on 92.7 WRPP, and we carry Munising on 97.7 AM 1400 because I like being a part of the community. I like being involved. Like People see me a lot at Gallery Coffee Company, and I don't know who half the people are, but they're talking to me and telling me how much they're listening and things like that. I'm no, I'm not doing play-by-play. My dreams of and aspirations of taking over for George Blaha have have dwindled uh, significantly. I'm I'm a family guy. I've always been a family guy ever since I had my little boy, who's not so little anymore. And uh, he's gonna he's seven right next, technically seven and a half. But uh, he's into wrestling and all that stuff. But I, I'm more of a family guy, so I'm more behind the scenes now. I'm doing pre-game, halftime, post-game shows because I don't want to be on the road. Like Charlie Nebel, for in- instance, is our play-by-play announcer for Munising. And God bless him. He was in Ingadine uh, the first week of the basketball season. And then recently he was in Ingadine again. And I was just like, I don't ever want to travel to Ingadine. <laughs> if, if all the games were home games, I would do them. Sure. But I don't want to do them anymore. I don't. Ha- and, and Charlie's been a part of the community. He's been broadcasting for 15 years. Everybody loves Charlie. I love Charlie. Charlie married my wife and I. So I, I love the fact that Charlie's doing the games. I love the fact that when he can't do it, his son uh, Cameron does it. Um, Kane plays for Munising, and he's a freshman, one to watch out for over the next three to four years. But I don't want to do the games anymore. When I first moved up here, I wanted to do everything. And now I'm just to the point, 37 years old, if I do it, it's just on a kind of fill-in basis. I think Tom fills in every once in a great while to do mm-hmm. games, but same thing as Tom. Tom doesn't want to do the games anymore. That's why you hired you. I don't want to do the games anymore. That's why I got Charlie. Because you come to a point in your life where you're like, oh, do I really want to go to Iron Mountain? Do I really want to go to Calumet? Do I really want to go to North Central? But by, by the way, North Central's going to have a fantastic basketball team again this year. But I don't want to go to North Central's or the Carney Natos. I mean, basically, I just want to be at home. That's that's all I want. Like even my road games are only five miles away because I just got to go to the studio, and I think the problem—it's not really a problem—but the problem was I did so much traveling when I worked for Fry and I worked for Fox, traveling back and forth from Munising all the time. I just I don't have the desire to be on the road anymore. I had a lot of windshield time, and you get tired of that from time to time. Casey, last thing for you. Tell me about what your time at ESPN-UP did for you, how it helped you grow as a person and as a professional. No, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I learned so much from Tom and Jim. Um, 25 and 26, 27-year-old me didn't. But when you leave the business, you, you realize what they were telling you. And Tom has been a, a great businessman, and mostly because he hired me first. Um, <laughs> but I learned so much from Jim. I learned so much from Tom. You don't have to be this overpowering voice. It's nice being the voice of reason. It's You learn kind of how to take a step back and not react to something right that second. But I did learn a lot from Tom and Jim. And honestly, that helped me when I was in the car industry because when I left here, in my seven and a half, eight years here, selling cars, I don't want to say it was easy because it's not easy. It's like selling cars is hard. And people just think that you sit there and you don't do anything and you're just there for them. We kind of are, but we're not. Like selling vehicles is a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work. And people just, not everybody realizes that. 
But I had met so many people doing this job. Moving into cars was easier for me because I already had, I don't want to say a book of business, but I already had the connections and people were thinking of me. I didn't sell everyone, but a lot of people were like, hey, what can you do for me? Can you do me this? Can you get me that? And I would always try to get the best for the customer. And it just was a little bit easier because a lot of people knew me from here. So when I left the radio to go sell cars for six years, people were contacting me about vehicles that they may want. Um, one of the biggest advantages working at Fox, for instance, is I could sell at the Subaru store, the Ford store, same thing at this point. Um, I could sell at the, the Chrysler store. Or I could sell GMC or Chevy. When I was at Fry, they were a Chevy-only brand unless it was used, and I could sell whatever there. But uh, me doing this, um, I, I got to meet a lot of people, and from those people, it's a lot of word of mouth. Oh, you're working here. You're working here. I'm going to call you. And I already built those relationships, which is great, so people would try to uh, do me a favor. Oh, I'm going to send my friend over there. Can you can you help him out? Yeah. So I, I did learn a lot from working here which helped me in the car industry. And what I learned in the car industry is now back working for me in the radio industry, which is just mind-blowing. Honestly, seriously, I'm, I'm still, sometimes I'm just like, what, what am I doing? Like, my son asks me all the time, he's like, so you went from radio to cars back to radio, when are you going back to cars? I'm like, <laughs> I hope I don't have to. And it's not a slight on the car industry. I, I just, I, I like my schedule now because I can come here I'm running things. I like to run things the way I want to run things, and they've given me every opportunity to run things the way I want them. And it helps that, you know, when I have a disagreement, I can walk two houses down and sort things out with the owner and have a drink or two. (laughs) Honestly, I don't know how people feel about working for family, but I love it. I mean, my brother-in-law is great. Uh, my morning show, which is going to start April or May, um, his wife is going to give birth in the next few weeks. So um, depending on when she comes off maternity leave, we are going to start a morning show on 97.7 AM 1400 and simulcast on 92.7. But uh, that's that's in the works. I'm I'm back officially but i'm not back back until i can kind of do my own show you know how it is until Mm -hmm. people listen i i've been able to do a couple of test runs and it seems like that the audience is there and it's good and i I like being back in in front of the mic but uh i I honestly i can't wait till i actually feel like every day casey again and i get to do that morning show stuff and i get to play songs that i want to play and talk about what i want to talk about again right now it's a nice little little taste but until you have, until you get in, get in the middle of that filet mignon, you're not you're not there yet. So I, I am excited for what the future does hold, and I do like the fact that I can work with a lot of people. And honestly, it, it doesn't matter if it's uh, Radio Results Network, or Great Lakes, or Media Brew, or um, anyone else. I mean, I I have established a lot of relationships over the years, and it's nice to hear some of these familiar faces and vo- see the familiar faces and hear these voices and. I get along with everyone, which is great because, honestly, I feel like we should all work together. And I, I think that's why Tom's allowing me on the radio today because we're, we're competition, but we're not. We're, we're all in this together. I mean, we're not. it's not like I'm a competing sports station by any means. I mean, you have to go a lo- out of your way to purposely try to hear me. <laughs> Daisy. <laughs> you do. You have to go out of your way to purposely try to hear me. With that, 
we are out of time. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you, putting that together. My thanks to Casey Ford, Ryan Marine, Ryan Mayer, and Blake Froling for joining me and giving me that kind of content and for helping us recap the 2010s as a decade. I'm going to be back in the studio on Monday. It's my hope that you join me as we're going to get back to regularly scheduled programming and get set to flip the calendar to 2020. Signing off for ESPN, UPWZAM, Ishpeming Marquette. I'm Tanner Hoops.